This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, Mitch Blackburn joins us to talk about E-Series as well as some new enhancements available for the EF300 platform. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house. With me today, I have Mitch Blackburn. Mitch, what do you do here at NetApp? I'm a TME on the E-Series and EF-Series team. How do we reach you? Uh, Mitch.blackburn at netapp.com. All right, excellent. So, you know, as Mitch said, he covers E-Series here at NetApp. And if you're not familiar with E-Series, Mitch, um, could you give us the primer of what an E-Series is? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, so that we have both the E-Series and the EF-Series. The E-Series generally is a hybrid array. So uh, currently our uh, versions are the E5700 and the E2800. Uh, they allow you to have HDD drives and SSD drives in the array, and they are both uh, SAS-based arrays. Uh, then on our EF-Series, we have uh, currently the... EF280, the entry level uh, that we've had for a few years out now, then the EF570 um, is a mid-range. Uh, those are both all SSD arrays, and they take up to 120 SSD drives in them. Uh, then we have the EF600, which came out about a year and a half ago. Um, it's kind of a doubled the performance of our EF570. So we went from doing with the EF570 a million IOPS to our EF600 that could do 2 million. And we went from throughput numbers of 21 gigabytes per second with the EF570 on reads up to 44 gigabytes per second on the EF600. So we doubled our performance by going with an EF600, uh, but the price, we kept the price similar to an EF570. A caveat there though is the EF600 only can have 24 drives in it. It can't have up to 120, so just 24 drives on an EF600. And then finally, uh, our newest EF uh, array and the one we wanna talk about today is our EF300. So the EF300 came out about uh, six months ago, uh, was first released and like the EF600, it's an NVMe based array. So these are both all NVMe based arrays. Uh, also takes 24 NVMe drives and it's a controller shelf. And it doubled the performance of the EF280 or slightly more. So it's the entry level uh, also EF, uh, series. And so where the EF280 could do 300,000 IOPS, the EF300 is now taking that up to 670,000. And where the EF280 had bandwidth of 10 gigabytes per second, the EF300 is now delivering 20 gigabytes per second. So actually very close to what an EF570 can deliver. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention on that line, I'll just kind of to, to break it out and then we, we can go more into it uh, later, is that with this release of the EF300 on the 10th of June, uh, we're going to provide SAS expansion capabilities to an EF series array. And this is the first time we've provided HDD drives in an EF series array. You've covered 
like the hardware aspect of it. So tell me a little bit more about what people would use an E-Series for, like the use cases, and what do you see out there generally with the field? Uh, so use cases on, on the, uh, especially on the hybrid arrays, uh, things we're looking at um, are things like backup and restore is a great use case, especially on the E2800. Uh, we do have good throughput there. And that's a lot of what the E-Series line is about is writing data out to drives quickly. So uh, the E2800 gets used a lot for the backup and recovery type environments. Uh, it also gets used a lot in the video surveillance environments where again, you're writing that data out uh, to drives and that's what its primary task is, is just get that data out there. So it makes a great, uh, great video surveillance platform as well. Uh, the E5700 can do both of those things as well. And it, and it does. I've even had a customer use an EF600 for backup where they really needed high performance in their backup. So the EF5700 can do those things as well. For both the 2800 and the 5700, we're offering um, 18 terabyte drives right now. So that's about 8.6 petabytes of capacity available to you with an E5700. So people who are needing a lot of storage uh, for their data, E5700 makes a great platform. The other thing you get on the 2800 and the 5700 when we say hybrid is I can have SSD drives in them as well, not just HDDs. So it gives you an opportunity uh, to do something where you need high performance, uh, but you also need a lot of capacity. So they both make good plat great platforms for that. Um, on the EF line, generally on the EF, and, and this is for all the EFs where, where we're looking at high performance and even more so with the F300 and the F600 with the all end-to-end NVMe, we're looking at um, databases. A lot of times enterprise databases uh, are a great choice on these platforms where our customers need um, high IOPS and low latency or high throughput and low latency, either one of those cases. And we have several customers who are very large um, doing things like a internet store, that type of environment where low latency is everything to them. They, they really need that high throughput, low latency numbers to serve their customers. So that's a lot of the EF brand. We also do things on EF and, and in particular, uh, let's talk about EF 300 use cases we're looking at. One is, is things like, since it is at an entry level, you might well have a customer uh, that has a high performance database. So they really need that. Let's say you're running a, um, uh, you're taking orders online, if, if you will. So this is your accounts receivable, accounts payable, invoicing is all being handled through an Oracle database on an EF300 uh, where you need that high performance. But you also would like to have a place to write your backups to as well. And so by allowing that expansion onto the EF300 with HDD drives, and when I say HDD, I mean nearline SAS, the high capacity drives, it's not going to allow 10K drives, but I need, I might want to write my backup at the same time there. So I have a place to put that and I don't have to go buy another storage system to do it. I can do it right there. Uh, another opportunity we're looking at, we're testing right now with the EF300 is Splunk something like that where 
the application is doing the tiering. So the application is doing the data management. So we, you would write in a classical Splunk environment, uh, use those SSD drives to, for your hot warm tier. You would write that to those SSD drives. And then onto your cold tier, you would have nearline SAS drives to write your cold, to tier off and Splunk handles the tiering off to those cold drives. So it really can work well in those type of environments. My understanding is also that we can front end uh, an E-series with something like a storage grid, like use it as a storage grid back end. Is that, is that correct? Uh, we could put yeah, a storage grid behind an E-series so that, that the storage grid would be uh, for your um, long-time archive, that kind of thing. Yes, we could do that as well. Okay, excellent. So it sounds like it's a, it's a way to get a lot of capacity and, and you know, good performance depending on the, the platform for you know, a, a lower cost than you'd pay for other storage solutions, mainly because the feature set isn't you know, super robust. You know, you're not trying to, to do data protection and all these other things. So, well, yeah, right. And, and that's right. I mean, we, um, compared to if we were looking at ONTAP and it's, uh, its snapshot features, its data protection features, uh, while E-Series does have snapshots and it does have mirroring and they're free and included with Centricity OS or part of the package, they're not quite as robust as uh, the ONTAP uh, feature set is. Uh, so a, a lot of times customers aren't looking at that, what they're looking for is not to use the data management features, let the application do it. And, and, and Oracle and Splunk both are great, are great examples of that, where you have such great features in Oracle already, uh, you're going to use it. And you're just going to use the storage uh, to be fast, to be reliable. We have six nines reliability with E-series and EF-series. And so you want that reliability. Right, and I guess the the competitive play would be more like something like a Ceph or a Gluster, right? So, like you know, someone coming from one of those platforms might look at as, at an E series for their use cases because it kind of closely matches what those platforms would do. Is that is that accurate? I, I think that's that is pretty accurate. There, um, we have actually tested things like uh, Ceph with E series. Um, a lot of times, Ceph is uh, can be a, a little difficult to run because it, it struggles with the uh, multipathing on Ceph on E-series because uh, Ceph, uh, you have to go ahead and, and program that yourself. It doesn't just come with the multipathing out of the box. So it can be a little bit of a trouble, a little bit of a problem there. And my understanding is also that E-series, we, you know, we recently covered this in a in a podcast, you know, it supports things like VGFS and, and that type, you know, the, the type of parallel file systems you might want to use for some high performance use cases like a video surveillance, right? Yeah. Thanks. You know, that's a great question. I thank you for asking that because I had forgot all I was, uh, since I'm on the enterprise database side of, of E-series and generally that's, that's my focus uh, in analytics. I don't think, I don't often uh, keep in mind that the high performance computing side of things and BGFS and that, uh, we do, uh, the E-Series team, uh, we provide second-level support for BGFS. We resell it, provide second-level support as a parallel file system, and are working with it quite a bit to work with uh, NVIDIA as well. With uh, BGFS, we're doing testing with them at this point uh, to see, well, how can we do things there uh, 
for things like their pod and their super pod and what are possible there with the VGFS. And in those instances, you, you would use possibly your EF600 to provide your metadata uh, location. So that's where you'd store your metadata where you need the, the highest performance. And then a E5700 with all of that capacity uh, behind it there for your data. I understand that we have some advancements since the uh, the November release of the EF300. What sort of new things can we expect for that particular platform? Well, let's, uh, as I mentioned to you already, the performance, but that came out earlier. So what we're going to have with the expansion shells, this possibility, there'll be the 24 NVMe drives uh, already available, but you could also have an additional 96 SSD drives in the platform. Uh, so staying with that 120 total SSD drives per system for the E-Series or even the F-Series platform. Uh, and we're expecting the testing isn't, isn't completed yet with that, but we're expecting to see your performance to be almost as good. I, you, you know that you know as you shift or maybe our, the, uh, our listeners already know, when you go from the NVMe, you have that a reduced command set. That's what helps you bring in that low latency. So by adding SaaS platforms, those are SCSI-based drives. So there is going to be a little bit of a latency uh, change there, but we're not expecting that to be very uh, too high for bringing in the SSD drives. We also have up to 240 uh, nearline SaaS HDD drives available to you. So with the 18 terabyte drives, you could actually have an EF300 up with up to 4.6 petabytes of capacity uh, behind your controllers there. If you had only two U12s, so you could have two U12s shells, two U24 shells if you're using SSD drives, or the big four U60 shells. So up to four four U60s. If you had only two U12 shells, we're going to allow up to eight of them are going to be possible there. This is also going to require a SAS expander card. So if you're familiar with the EF600 already, you know the way we doubled that throughput was by adding a second uh, HIC in the controller itself. Well, with the EF300, instead of having a second HIC in it, we're going to have the other slot is going to be a SAS expander. And that's the only thing that we'll be able to go into the slot. So we'll have the slot two, will only have a hick in it. Slot one will only be able to have an optional SAS expander into it. And that's going to be four SAS connections, 12 gigabit SAS, so the SAS three uh, is going in there. And one of the things I, I wanted to mention, because I think this will be interesting to, um, to people that already are familiar with E-series and EF-series, where the expansion, because it's going to be using four SAS, four slots there or four ports per expander, that means you're going to need more cabling in it in order to get that maximum bandwidth is the idea and your um, multipathing correctly done. So we'll be from each controller, we'll have four ports and a SAS expander, and that will be four cables in from each one of those in order to work right. So what other things do we have coming to us for the E-Series? There are two other things I'm going to, I want to mention today in particular. Um, is we have the uh, the Centricity storage plugin for vCenter. That had, we had one previously several um, years back and we had discontinued it uh, for a time. And now we're bringing that back on this release. So we are gonna have a, a Centricity uh, 
E-Series plugin. And it's the nice thing is it's going to actually use the UI elements from the Centricity OS. So if you're already familiar with our Unified Manager and the System Manager, you're going to have that same enterprise view with the Unified Manager and then the same System Manager view for storage provisioning. Uh, the features you're going to get with that are you'll be able to view and manage discovered storage arrays, perform batch operations on groups of storage arrays, uh, do centricity OS upgrades, create and manage your pools, volume groups, and volumes, uh, be able to do certificate and access management, management as well. And this, the new plugin will, will support our E5700 E2800 arrays, as well as the EF300 and EF600 arrays. And we'll have host protocols for that are going to be iSCSI, uh, Fiber Channel, and NVMe uh, over Fiber Channel will all be supported there. And that will be for Centricity OS versions 11.60.2 and higher. And the VMware versions supported are going to be 6.7 and 7.0 on that. So really exciting that that's coming back. Where this is going to be available for our uh, Lenovo uh, OEMs as well. They had really been wanting this, so we'll have a Lenovo branded version of the plugin as well. Okay, so it'll be like a it'll plug into the actual OEM that Lenovo sells that are rebranded E series. Yes, that's right. Okay. So I also wanted to mention, and to me. To be honest, the, one of the cooler features I, I think we're coming out with now is called the um, Centricity uh, Remote Storage Volumes. Uh, I've also seen the, the term use remote storage import. And I really think this is cool for our customers. So this allows customers to import data from an existing remote storage device onto an E-series volume with minimal downtime there. So it can be used to, to streamline the process for equipment upgrades and or provide data migration capabilities, move data from non-E-series devices to E-series systems. And I, I've already, I, I had in the last year before this feature came available, I've already had customers wanting you know, to do that and we didn't have a nice way to do it. And I think this is gonna provide a much nicer way uh, for customers that want to do a hardware refresh or want to do like a competitor takeout so that it's going to be based on, on iSCSI. So it's used to import data from remote storage devices to E-series volumes with that minimal downtime there. And the base requirement for the feature is to support importing data from a remote storage device directly to a local E-series volume. So to use the feature, customers just manually establish an iSCSI connection. And, and I, that's why I keep saying iSCSI because it's important that first out, it's only going to have iSCSI available for doing this uh, between the two. And then the remote storage object must be created on the local E-series system with one or more IP addresses where the iSCSI IQ ends uh, of the remote storage devices can be discovered. And so this will then allow once it's once the connection is done, during the import operation, the destination volume can be set up to handle the IOs that the remote storage device was originally handling. So any IOs going to the destination volume are then propagated back to the remote storage device until the import operation is completed. So really you can minimize downtime and it does take at the disconnect, that's a manual disconnect. So that's why you do have a pause there, but very little downtime involved in it. Really nice feature for that. 
All right, sounds like we got a lot of new stuff for E-Series and the EF300. So, Mitch, um, if I wanted to find more information about these things, where would I do that? I think, so right now, the uh, TR4877, the introduction to NetApp EF300, uh, that as soon as the product releases, that will be available. Uh, at the same same day, uh, for our customers who want more pro- more information about the EF three hundred, um, the remote storage volumes. Uh, there's a TR coming out for that that didn't have doesn't have a TR number yet, but they'll be able to go out and search for that under remote storage volumes on the NetApp site and find information for that. As well as there's not a number yet assigned to the. Um, VMware or the vCenter plugin. So they'll be able to go out and search for that on the NetApp site and find that information as well. Okay, excellent. When when can we expect those TRs to be released? Uh, Everything should be ready on the 10th of June when the product releases. All right, so you'll have those TR numbers. So we can add it to the blog that we release with this podcast so there'll be links so they don't have to go searching for it necessarily. Okay, let me make a note to send that to you. And Mitch, again, if we wanted to reach you, how would we do that? So you can reach me directly at mitch.blackburn at netapp.com. And I'd be happy to help you with any questions you have or pass you on to the right person who can't help you. All right, excellent. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap Podcast team, I'd like to thank Mitch Blackburn for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.